0: My first question for you, Mary, today is for someone listening today who perhaps has never even heard of Howard Zinn, could you just give us a brief overview of who he is and why it's important for someone listening today to understand who he is, what his book, A People's History of the United States, and what kind of influence that has had on our country? His influence is huge, and it just grows each year. His book first came out in 1980, so I think probably we could say it's two generations now that have been raised on Howard Zinn's toxic history. So you have parents now who think it's perfectly legitimate history for their kids to learn in school. And there are all other kinds of outlets that promote his book. There are downloadable free lessons at the Howard Zen Education Project. There are films, documentaries, graphic books, spin offs, a of young people's history that's used in school districts. They collaborate with the Southern Poverty Law Center, Zen Education Project does. So it's like this monster with thousands of tentacles going out into the culture and education, but Howard Zinn himself was born in 1922. He died in 2010, and he was born a Jewish-Russian immigrant parents who never escaped their lower-class existence, weren't very successful financially. Uh, He was a teenager in the 1930s, living in Brooklyn, and that was sort of the heyday of communist recruitment. He talks about this in his memoir, about how these guys would come in, try to recruit the younger Guys like Zinn and tell him about how wonderful communism is. And Zinn participated in a coordinated protest by the Communist Party as a teenager in Times Square and then, uh, as he claims, got bopped on the head by a policeman and realized that this whole system is corrupt. He worked in shipyards, and then he served in World War II as a bombardier, came back and got his PhD from Columbia on the GI Bill. But while he was working on his PhD in history, he was a member of the Communist Party. So in 1951, he was teaching Marxism at the Brooklyn headquarters of the Communist Party USA he was questioned about this and he's got this long fbi file of course like all communists he denied it and i think he officially gave up his membership around 1956 but that was only so he could go and infiltrate the educational system and our cultural institutions so he got a job at Spelman College in Atlanta. As you may know, that is a small Christian college for African-American women. And he proceeded to radicalize students there, told them he was, you know, Jewish by birth, but he, he didn't believe in God or any religion. And um, so he radicalized them at Spelman College. He was fired for insubordination by the college's first black and first male president, Albert Manley, in 1963. But he then went on to Boston University, where he radicalized students, he led Vietnam War protests, he traveled to North Vietnam with Father Berrigan to bring back three American POWs, a big propaganda coup for the North Vietnamese. He worked there until his retirement in 1988. But he led a pretty charmed life, touring all over the world, giving talks, not doing much real teaching, but was just sort of a pal and an agitator to students. And he died in 2010, actually, while he was on a trip in Santa Monica, to discuss how to educate children with his materials. So that's a sort of a, yeah. <laughs> a short synopsis of his life. But he always remained committed to communism slash socialism, and that was his objective, was to convert young people to, to hate their country and to embrace socialism and communism.